This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to Africa News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehe in Washington, and coming up on African News Tonight... The competition now on the African continent between Russia and the United States and China and the United States has become much more visible and in many ways much more significant than it was a decade or so ago. That's Brooke Spector, associate editor of the South African newspaper The Daily Maverick on the growing U.S., Russian and Chinese interest in Africa. Details coming up also. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov made a one-day surprise visit to Eritrea today. And Pope Francis plans to meet young Catholics when he visits the continent next week. These stories and more on African News Tonight. We start with our top story. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen wraps up a day, a 10-day trip to Africa Saturday that so stops in Senegal, Zambia, and South Africa, where she meets today with philanthropists and clim- climate change experts. Yellen's trip comes as the United States looks to rebuild its role in Africa amid concerns about growing Chinese and Russian influence. It's one of a flurry of visits to Africa this year by top U.S. officials that analysts say are putting the continent back on the spotlight and could reignite great power competition. Kate Bartlett reports from Johannesburg. Throughout her trip, Yellen sought to underscore the importance of the growing and youthful continent, saying the United States' strategy towards Africa is centered around a simple recognition that Africa will shape the future of the global economy. The administration of President Joe Biden has emphasized its commitment to the region, rolling out a new policy for sub-Saharan Africa in August and hosting the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit in December. Analysts say the re-engagement comes after Africa received limited attention from former President Donald Trump's administration and as leading trade partner China continues to dominate the region economically, while Russia is working to strengthen military and diplomatic ties. Yellen arrived shortly after a visit by Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov to South Africa, which has taken an officially neutral stance on the war in Ukraine and is planning to host controversial joint naval drills with Russia and China off the coast of the city of Durban next month. Bob Wakesa, head of the African Center for the Study of the United States in Johannesburg, said the timing of the visits shows both Russia and the U.S. are trying to woo Africa. Is it a coincidence that uh, both Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov and uh, U.S. Uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen have done their Africa trip early in the year, coinciding, in fact, almost meeting together. In my view, it's not a coincidence uh, in itself because there's a very big geopolitical battle which has just intensified over the couple of uh, months uh, since uh, first uh, Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine. Brooke Spector, associate editor at South African newspaper The Daily Maverick and a retired American diplomat, echoed that assessment. The competition now on the African continent between Russia and the United States and China and the United States has become much more visible and in many ways much more significant than it was 
a decade or so ago. With Russia, of course, the, the, uh, the challenge is geopolitical and security, whereas with China, the challenge is largely economic and trade-oriented. Yellen has used her trip to criticize both Beijing and Moscow. Her remarks in Zambia about China being a barrier to the heavily indebted nation's debt restructuring drew ire from Beijing. She has also blamed Russia's brutal war for raising energy prices and causing food insecurity in Africa. The U.S. is South Africa's third largest trading partner. Yellen has announced a new joint task force aimed at preventing wildlife trafficking, pledged to increase trade and investment, and praised the country for aiming to tackle its current power crisis and reliance on coal through a just energy transition partnership with the U.S. But so far on her South Africa visit, Yellen, who had a closed-door meeting with President Cyril Ramaphosa, has refrained publicly from talking about the upcoming naval exercises or Pretoria's stance on Ukraine. Spectre said the topics, not usually ground covered by a Treasury Secretary, would likely have come up regardless of the brief. When Secretary Yellen arrived, she had an entire basket of issues to be tackled, a whole range of things some of which transcended the more normal topics that a Treasury Secretary might want to have talked about, including, of course, not surprisingly, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. When South African Finance Minister Enoch Godengwana met with Yellen Thursday, he noted her visit was a momentous occasion because no U.S. Treasury Secretary had visited in eight years. Asked whether the minister's remarks could be seen as a criticism of the U.S. for ignoring Africa, David Feldman, the mission spokesman for the U.S. Embassy in Pretoria, told VOA, we refer you to the South African finance minister for any interpretation of what he said. The South African Treasury did not respond to a request for comment. To underscore the importance of the continent, it's expected that both U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris and President Biden will visit this year. Kate Bartlett for VOA News, Johannesburg. VOA VOA Africa is your trusted source for news, sports, entertainment and music. Stay engaged with VOA Africa. We love to hear your voice. You can call us 24-7 on WhatsApp and leave a message. Leave comments, requests or greetings. We may play your message on VOA Africa. Dial the international code plus one, then 202-258-3076. VOA Africa is always happy to hear your voice. The number again is the international code plus one, then 202 258 3076. Eritrea's Information Ministry says Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov made a one-day surprise visit to the country today. The French news agency AFP says he met with President Isaiah Safawarki. The two discussed Russia's war with Ukraine as well as improving ties on energy mining, information technology, education and health. Lavrov is completing a tour of Africa that has taken him to Angola, Iswatini, and South Africa. Eritrea is one of five countries to vote against a resolution in March condemning Russia's invasion of Ukraine.
You're listening to Africa News Tonight on The Voice of America. Pope Francis heads to Africa next Tuesday, first to the Democratic Republic of Congo and then to South Sudan. The visit comes at a defining moment in what is regarded as a fairly progressive papacy. Theologists and other observers point out that the Catholic Church is witnessing its fastest growth in Africa. They say that Catholics are not simply growing in number on the continent, they are reinventing and reinterpreting the faith. Antal Alimasi is President Emeritus for the National Association of African Catholics in the United States. The Pope, he says, not only will be speaking with African Catholic and political leaders, but he will be listening to young Africans who he calls the Church of Now. Well, um, again, as, as I said, uh, I, I, men- I mentioned what some people have called the youth burge of, uh, of Africa at this, at this time. Now, when you come to Pope Francis, Francis's commitment to the youth, I, I guess that is already uh, documented. And so if you take all that and put it in the context of this synodal process, so you understand that as he looks to Africa, I think he goes to the DRC and the Sudan this time, he, he will try to also get uh, this new blood, as I call it, into understanding what you know the church should and uh, and is doing for for the people, and that includes talking to powers that be, you know, and that is uh, you know um, whether it's uh, at the government level, whether it's uh, with the NGOs, whether it's um, with what I would call the community leaders. So all those things have been sort of uh, mixed in so that they can, to some extent, uh, show not only solidarity with the young people, but um, project the, the future of, of, the, of the church. You mentioned the Pope will, be, will head to DRC and the South Sudan. Why DRC and why South Sudan in particular? Oh, uh, in particular, I think, um, apart from what I mentioned before as, as part of the synodal process, uh, there's uh, this thing, Pope uh, Francis has been talking so much about the solidarity with the people who are suffering. And um, he particularly has, has pinpointed the sufferings of the people of the DRC. He had, um, to my uh, knowledge, you know, he had uh, made, led many prayers for the for the people of the DRC, and um, trying in trying to to make sure that um, the world pays attention to what's happening in, in the DRC, especially in the eastern part of the DRC. Uh, as you probably know, the DRC counts the highest number of Catholics in the continent in terms of numbers uh, in, in terms of the population. So that's one reason that, you know, to go there and show solidarity there. As far as the South Sudan is concerned, as you know, South Sudan was the Catholic part, really mainly Catholic part of the former Sudan. And so now you have this small country that is a majority um, Catholic, uh, but also has other Christians, and it's time for for them for the Pope to show them that 
the suffering they've gone through, as they internally displace people that they count, uh, that uh, you know uh, their cries he has heard, and that the church is really uh, in solidarity with them. Um, as a matter of fact, I think that you know that when uh, Pope Francis will leave the DRC after meeting with uh, women who have been uh, uh, victims of uh, women and men who have been victims of the, uh, the, the long war in the DRC and meeting with uh, members of parliament and other people in the government, he's heading to Sudan where not only he's going to meet with the uh, members of, of those displaced communities, but there's going to be what they, they have entitled the ecumenical pilgrimage of peace. And that he will meet with the bishop, or Archbishop of Canterbury, and um, the moderator of the General Assembly of Churches um, of Scotland in Juba for this ecumenical ceremony for peace. So that, to me, is uh, the take particular. Uh, visit of the Pope in Africa. That was Ntala Alimasi, President Emeritus for the National Association of African Catholics in the U.S. He spoke with me from Washington, D.C. Pope Francis this week criticized laws that criminalize homosexuality as unjust, saying God loves all his children just as they are, and called on Catholic bishops who support such laws to welcome LGBTQ people into the church. The Vatican in 2008 declined to sign a UN declaration that called for the decriminalization of homosexuality but urged countries to avoid unjust discrimination against gay people and end penalties against them. Professor Joseph Capizzi is a professor of theology at the Catholic University of America. VOA's Douglas Mpuga asked the professor what he thought of the Pope's statement. It's always hard, of course, to interpret statements that are made off the cuff like this, uh, but I think part of what the Pope is emphasizing is that the civil law, right, civil and criminal law within states needs to be forgiving of those areas of human beings' lives, right, where they do not live up to the moral ideal. Um, And, you know, he recognizes in Catholicism, there's a kind of understanding um, that traces back, you know, even to Thomas Aquinas and before Aquinas, that the civil law should not criminalize all sinful behavior, right? So even if you assume, as Pope John Paul, I mean, as Pope Francis does, that homosexual activity is sinful activity, right? Sexual activity outside of marriage is sinful activity. That that doesn't mean the civil law should criminalize that. In 2008, the Vatican didn't sign on the UN Declaration on Rights for Homosexualities. Has the position of the Vatican changed, or is it moving towards that direction? I, I can't speak to whether the position on the Vatican has changed. Obviously, you know, what, what Pope Francis is expressing is his mind, the mind of, um, you know, the, the papacy at this moment. Uh, I don't know that this expresses formal Vatican position, you know, as opposed to simply, again, recognizing that all sinful behavior does not need to be criminalized by civil law. And that's a position, again, that's very old. I mean, it's not, uh, you know, that that itself is not novel teaching. Um, You may have some movement here with regard to where the church thinks things ought to be with regard to this particular activity. 
But I, but again, I, I want to be. I think we need to be hesitant about making that judgment. There is a thin line between uh, uh, homosexuality and uh, same-sex marriage. Uh, the church has been clear on that before. Do you think there could be any change soon on that in that direction? I don't think so. I, I think that the the view, the Catholic view with regard to same-sex marriage, will be the same as it always has been, which is just to recognize that the term marriage does not apply to that kind of union, a union that is between members of the same sex. That's, that's just a different reality, whatever that is, than is the, um, the reality of marriage, which presupposes members of the opposite sexes, right, um, in that kind of union. So I don't, I don't see any change there. Many archbishops and bishops may not may not have the same view as the popes. How do you think uh, this uh, pope statement will be interpreted across the uh, the Catholic community? Yeah, I, I think there will be some disagreement. Uh, you know, as there almost always is, just given the you know the the size of the episcopacy and you know the different range of issues that different bishops are dealing with. But again. All of them will agree with the fundamental premise of this kind of claim, which is that the, the civil law does not criminalize all sinful behavior, that it recognizes some space there between what the civil law speaks to and what the moral law speaks to. Professor Joseph Capizzi is a professor of theology at the Catholic University of America. He spoke with Douglas Mpuga from Washington. Hello, this is Heather Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. The UN has condemned an offensive by M23 rebels in the eastern region of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. The group has seized large areas of North Kivu province since May, though they had agreed to withdraw from recently seized positions as part of an agreement sponsored by regional leaders in November. But the M23 says... It had to take Kitshanga this week to protect ethnic Tutsis there and in other areas from what it calls genocide against the group. More than 450 people have fled the town in the past few days. According to the French news agency AFP, the UN peacekeeping mission in the region, MONUSCO, says the rebels are violating a ceasefire and called on the rebels to cease all hostility and withdraw from occupied areas. U.S. aid says fighting in North Kivu has displaced at least 450,000 people. Hello. 
I'm Carol Castiel, host of Press Conference USA, VOA's newsmaker interview program. Join us each Saturday and Sunday when we talk with authors, analysts, and policymakers who provide fresh insight on topics ranging from U.S. politics and foreign policy to science, culture, and global health. You can listen to Press Conference USA on the radio or online at voanews.com slash PCUSA. While you're visiting our website, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love to hear from you. Just send an email to PCUSA at voanews.com or connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voa or on Twitter at voa. That's Press Conference USA every Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest development on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Helen Kordian, thanks for choosing the Voice of America. editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. The leaders of Canada, Mexico, and the United States met recently in Mexico City at the North American Leaders Summit to discuss security and economic cooperation. The summit included a recognition of the importance of fighting against inequality, racism, and discrimination. Standing alongside Mexican Foreign Secretary Marcelo Ebrard and Canadian Foreign Minister Melanie Jolie, Secretary of State Antony Blinken underscored the value of focusing on a common ideal that is at the core of our democracies, that we are all better off when every individual in our societies enjoys equal rights and equal opportunities. Before signing the North American Declaration on Partnership for Equity and Racial Justice, along with his counterparts, Secretary Blinken noted that the Declaration establishes three ways to ensure all communities and individuals reach their full potential. First, the fight for greater equity and inclusion begins at home. In every nation, members of marginalized groups face discrimination, Secretary Blinken declared. It's a daily reality for people from indigenous communities and communities of African descent, women and girls, LGBTQI plus people, people with disabilities, religious minorities, and others, including in the United States. He praised the willingness of all three countries to acknowledge that the work must initially be undertaken at home. That, he said, is vital to our legitimacy when it comes to the Declaration's second commitment, redoubling our collaboration to advance equity and racial justice around the world. 
The third way to promote equity is to draw on the knowledge and expertise of leaders outside government. The three countries will establish a trilateral racial equity and inclusion expert network consisting of leaders from civil society, youth groups, the private sector, and academia to share best practices and innovative strategies. Simply put, one of our greatest strengths as democracies is that we trust our people, said Secretary Blinken. We trust our citizens to help fix some of our most intractable problems. Progress consists of citizens working every single day to make our societies a little bit better, a little bit stronger, a little bit more inclusive, Secretary Blinken declared. We're fortunate to have neighbors who share our highest ideals and a steadfast commitment to keep working to make them a reality. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. 